Welcome to the Talking Security Podcast. We will talk about items related to Microsoft security. Hello, welcome again at a new Talking Security Podcast. DevSecOps series. Within the DevSecOps series. Um, uh, this is the second recording. First time we talked about the developer uh, security workplace, uh, the developer workplace, and what we should do uh, from a security perspective. Um, today we're talking about complete another uh, aspect of DevSecOps. So within DevSecOps, there are different uh, aspects that we want to address in the in the next few recordings. So um, probably seven or eight or. Uh, the next recording, we will uh, we will touch that today. We are touching the code base, uh, but also security from a developer's perspective. Uh, the developer in-house uh, standard. Oh, so, um, what's your view on uh, security uh, within within um, the developers area? I I think that when you're talking about developers, um, what we're really good at is you know writing code, and that's kind of what we're paid to do. And I often see that like security from a developer's standpoint, it's just not there's not enough knowledge in a developer to like actually do this sufficiently. There's uh, I know how to write secure code, you know, like validate incoming data, stuff like that. It's just basic stuff. But when we're actually talking about deploying your applications to the cloud or scanning for invulnerabilities, all of scanning for vulnerabilities, stuff like this is something that developers often don't really know. Yeah. And this is what you need, you know, specialists for, like you guys. And I think that right. that is definitely some that is not something that scales nowadays when you're deploying your code maybe multiple times per day. When are you actually, you know, checking if your application is secure? You can't just, you know, ask some security specialist to check that once a week. That's maybe not even enough. That's a difficult thing. Yeah, and um, talking from a developer perspective, uh, but the, at DevSecOps, it's uh, it ch- the world changes because um, you are developing applications and stuff. Uh, but we are doing with infra infra as code. We are also uh, doing stuff with code. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that's also a big change, I think, in the whole developers and the, the whole. DevSecOps these days is is the change that's not only about application but it's also our infrastructure how it will be deployed and created on a later moment in Azure or any other cloud provider. Yeah, um, which is which is a bi- a big part of the whole DevSecOps, and and also what you what you mentioned I think um, if you look at the I think from an outside to the developers perspective and see how many stages there are involved within developing a code or application or infrastructure uh, part, um, that security cannot be just an additional stage that is added to that whole process. It's yeah, it not be like, an afterthought. No, right? It, it, and, and, and I think that's the whole idea behind DevSecOps, why they didn't add an additional pillar to it, but they said, no, it's security should be part of every stage in the whole process because... I think what the end goal is that, and, and, and we will touch that today a little, is to find that vulnerability as soon as possible. right? We, and, 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 and I think that's what we are going to talk about in this series, uh, more the uh, shift-left uh, approach, which you are seeing. It's coming from developers, of course, but it's also now security is adopting that framework. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
So it's like, you know, you need to, um, like like you already said, it's not like security is not an extra step in the chain. We're not adding a, a little, oh, we need to do security at some point. No, every stage of developing an application, there's lots of stages, they should all be done securely. And all of them need different steps. So you're kind of, you know, shifting the approach of security more to the left, so more to the developer perspective and more to the planning perspective where you, you're planning to build your application, where you're designing it, what is what do we need? Uh, we need to build an application that talks to the cloud. Okay, how does security play a role here? How are we going to talk about security? Not something that you do in the end. You really take it with you in all stages of developing it. Uh, it needs to be integrated in every step and every single piece that, that you're thinking of. Uh, security needs to be part of it. Yeah, because we're not nowadays writing like applications anymore and then deploying the files on an FTP server or something like that by hand. Yeah. It's, we're doing so much more. Like we're, we're deploying, we're, we're hosting our code somewhere like in GitHub, Azure DevOps, GitLab, stuff like this. And then we're using like CICD, like build pipelines, release pipelines. We're doing tests. We're doing monitoring. There's so many things that this, this works really well, but there's also so many things that can go wrong. And if you just ask a developer to fix all of this, you can't do it. You need security analysts, but you, this all needs to be done in a continuous way. Yeah, I think that that approach is uh, adopted by developers for a really long time, right? Building, testing, uh, unit testing, all the types of testing of your code. But uh, I think less from the with its security mind, right? Okay, are there vulnerabilities in my code, or could there be any vulnerabilities? I think that's the the big change, right? Because developers are doing code testing for a really long time, um, but not always from a security perspective. No, it is really it is really difficult for a developer to to do all of that. Um, like one one important thing is that you need to update your packages, update your dependencies, and stuff like that. And not a lot of developers like doing that. It's it's boring work. It's it's just takes very time consuming, and often you don't really have any time to do it. You know, the focus is on building those new features. The building it's not on like updating everything that you've already built. And if you if if you have an application that you built on your own and it's completely your own code, hey, you you could scan your code and you hey, you're you're completely aware of what what's in it. If you're using libraries or stuff like uh, for example. Look for look for J. Uh, the, the issue that we have seen. If you're using some other components like Log for J, yeah, then could you you are relying on other stuff, and then it's more harder to check if you are um, haven't have any vulnerability or not. Exactly, because like nowadays, I I mean, I don't think any developer is building an application without any dependencies. It is probably possible if you're just write, writing like HTML, CSS, and maybe some JavaScript yourself. It is possible, but like I would say that like 80, 90, even more percent of applications nowadays are built using a framework yep. in a front end, like React, Angular, Vue, or you're building a server application in Java or .NET, doesn't really matter. Anything is using libraries and Keeping them up to date is one thing, right? But like also what dependencies you're using in one package and that package in like in the front end land in JavaScript land has like a thousand dependencies, which have dependencies, which have dependencies. If one of them in the like in the chain gets a vulnerability somewhere, like all the packages above are also vulnerable. Yeah. And it's, you know, I need to build this feature, you know, I need to build this new checkout page, but I also need to ensure that vulner like dependency six thousand is still, you know, valid. 
it, it, it's impossible for me to do that alone. I cannot do that in the time that I have. Yeah. Yeah. If, we, if, we look at, if we look at application development, uh, dependencies are playing a big role. Uh, what about infra as code? Uh, if we are deploying um, infra uh, on, on, on the Azure platform or on AWS or whatever, um, do we have that sort of dep dependencies also? Well, not so the dependency to libraries. Uh, when it when it comes to infra infrastructure as code, it's mainly where we focus is to find the misconfigurations, right? Yep. Um, something we can do on multiple levels, right? We can do that uh, when deploying the resources to our Azure Cloud, for example. We can do that with Azure Policies these days, where we can say, okay, we are allowing um, users to create a virtual machine in Western Europe. Uh, they need to have certain disk encryption models uh, configured, and they are not allowed to have a public IP address. So that's something we can do, but that's on the Azure side. And we, when we start doing infrastructure code, so the developer has done all the configuration, uh, build the templates, um, commit that code, that code is merged and deployed, and at the deployment, you find out that there's some restrictions. Mm. And, um, and I think that's something that's also a little too late because you want to find that misconfiguration much earlier, uh, like developers. Like, uh, from my understanding is that developers want to find, uh, preferably, the, the, the bug or the, or the misconfiguration in the code on their EDA, not even in the build and validation phase. Well, I mean, that would, I guess, be the best thing. And you definitely have like code analyzers that check like, yeah. hey, you're writing code here that might be insecure or you're missing validation. Um, and then something in your IDE would be very great. But the thing is, if you only do it in the IDE uh, and you just kind of, you know, don't make all of this like validation of your dependencies, vulnerability scanning, if you don't make that a part of your pipeline and you only do it in your IDE, then a developer on your team that doesn't use that IDE or doesn't have it configured is still going to let vulnerable packages in. No. So I, I think it should be on two phases, right? I, I, I guess. Both. I guess. I, I see. I see it multi, uh, most of the times. I see it just happen in the pipelines itself. And for me, that works enough. You do nowadays have it integrated in Visual Studio. Like you get a warning when it says, like, "Hey, uh, when the .NET package manager NuGet, when it finds out that there's a vulnerable package, you actually get a notification nowadays." Which is really, really useful. I never really thought about it, and like I. Like uh, last week, I started my Visual Studio instance and I saw that uh, Nuget told me, hey, you have vulnerable packages. Like that's extremely useful as a developer to know. And then you can just, you know, make work of it or you can tell your team, hey, next week or next sprint, we really need to start focusing on this, uh, on these packages and we need to update them. Yeah, because France, for example, you mentioned uh, Log4G. If you look at Log4G and I think you had a similar experience, like... Where did when when the customers called us or when we were proactive, proactively searching customer environments, if you look, we were looking more on the infrastructure side, right, mm -hmm. to find that uh, defender, uh, firewalls, uh, Sentinel. Um, it was on the infra in on on the infra side, but the infra side was detecting the applications that are using that yeah. log4j. So the de the detection was uh, realized on the infra components, but the vulnerability was in the applications. So it's some somewhat hard uh, to to search all the applications to see the vulnerabilities, and then you need a vulnerability scanner um, on on a network or. Um, on an application server, whatever, to f to find if a certain library is installed and um, and 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 be, and be used yep. in that area, but 
that's the side from a customer perspective that we have. On the side of a developer, a developer needs to know where his dependencies are. So um, if Log4j, for, uh, if, if we take that example, if Log4j is coming up and there is a vulnerability in a specific package, then uh, Sonder, as a developer, he needs to check and he needs to, needs to know which applications do I have with that dependency, so I need to update that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. One thing that's really funny when we're talking about like uh, package vulnerabilities is when I talk to developers or like managers and stuff like that about we need to improve our security because it's insecure and they're like yeah, but we're just a small company you know no one is no one is going to hack us you know they don't have anything to gain here and that is maybe true in like the olden days where you know hackers could just target companies and stuff like this but nowadays like when we're saying log4j or when we're saying like uh, a package that has a dependency on a package, yada, 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 keep going like that. And somewhere in that chain is a, is a vulnerability. You are hacked. You are suddenly vulnerable. And they did not target you. They yep. just targeted one little package and suddenly like millions of companies could be vulnerable. Yeah, and uh, I think from a hacker perspective, uh, it doesn't does matter what, what you're doing. If you have a, some, uh, a small piece of, of software that is used by lots of other vendors application uh, developers and so on, then you have potential, uh, there's a potential more, m yeah, a bigger impact mm. uh, in, in, in the world and you have access to m more machines if if you can uh, can realize that that, uh, that way. Yeah, it, it makes sense for a hacker perspective as well. Like why would you target one little company if you could potentially know, oh, this company, this website is built in, in React or something like that, or they're hosting their server with .NET. So we're just going to grab some popular .NET packages and we're going to try finding vulnerabilities in those and get some bad stuff going on in there. And I know that the, the company will install my package. Yeah, you know, it's so much easier. If, we, if we're talking about uh, risks, um, what are, uh, from your opinion, what are the common security risks and challenges? that developers have? Mm, developers, I think number one would be um, from the code perspective, how you're managing your secrets. So you're writing code to connect to services in Azure or just to connect to services from an external service, like I don't know, an invoice service or a payment service, which you see often nowadays. Uh, how do you make sure that those credentials are kept safe? Lots yeah. of developers just, you know, they don't really think about it much and it can be a difficult topic. I see it often just, you know, you see often that they're still being leaked. In 2019, I, I read that there was like 100,000 secrets or something were uh, like leaked from GitHub. Yeah. Like 100,000. And that's just not going to stop. That yeah, is just going to keep going. Uh, we know a scenario in the Netherlands a couple of years well, it's a year ago almost uh, of an uh, IT admin which, uh, which from my understanding, uh, uh, he wanted to do something good and he wanted to share his what he built it on, on a code page and he published it on GitHub in a, to f so that others can use it. Mm. And it contained username and password yeah. of an admin, highly privileged admin account. Oh, this was, I, then I have a great story to tell on this. So it was a few years ago on, uh, there was, um, there was a, in the Dutch tax services, so like part of the Dutch government, there was a, um, an employee there had a GitHub account and some, some Dutch citizen uh, found that uh, GitHub account and was just looking around at it. And in there, he found some credentials to that employee's private GitLab account. So he was like, okay, yeah. I'm just gonna have a little look and take a look at those, uh, take a look at that GitHub, GitLab account. And what he found was like a plain text file with like all the usernames and passwords of the Dutch tax services like Azure admin account. Nice. So what he did, he went in there, he went uh, to the Azure portal, he logged in with username and password. 
and it was correct. But luckily, of course, there was two-factor authentication installed. Uh, so he was like, you know, he's out of luck. Well, he, of course, he didn't want to log in. He's a, he was a nice guy. Um, and a few seconds later, he was logged in. So some employee at the Dutch tax company uh, actually like clicked on, yes, it is me, in trying to log in. And this guy was logged in as the global admin in Azure. And it's just, you can just see, like, even with these big governments, it is so easy to just leak a secret. It is, it is very easy to do, and developers definitely need help. We need to integrate this, this security perspective all the way into the, the development of the code and everything else. Yeah, yeah. and th th this guy was a white hacker, so mm. he informed the tax services uh, that he was able to log in. Yeah. But one thing I want to highlight on, on, on the story that you are describing is there was MFA. Yeah, there was MFA, yeah. And someone, because uh, someone gets a, put a, a notification on his, on his phone and he put on approve and the hacker is in. So MF, MFA fatigue uh, that we uh, are facing in this area. So I get a, there was one notification probably, but how many times are admins are facing with a, uh, a notification or an approval prompt that is... Uh, that, that comes in multiple times and then in the end I'm, I'm fucked up I'm yeah, just gonna click on yes exactly and then you yeah, you have a potential uh, big impact on no it was a test environment so it was not not that big it was a test I'm pretty sure it was prod I, th I thought it was well, let's was just test, say it was test to, to that, save the let's hope it was there was a, a there was a, an environment Exactly. Of, of, of a big, big environment, of a big company, um, a public company, yeah. um, and that was. It's it's potential, yeah, crucial that you have uh, secured uh, that sort of, uh, of 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 user credentials. So this brings us to I think a really nice summary of what what is happening, right? Because we started with some code, some username and password in in a code which is published on a repository. And uh, all through the whole process that on the upside, somebody used that account to log in, right? And that's, I think, the whole gap that is there. So on the left side, we had that code, which co contained the password. And on the, all on the right side, we had the Active Directory, MFA, whatever, in place to try to stop it or try to detect it with things like Seam, Sentinel, or uh, the fan of identity, impossible, that kind of stuff. We have that in place. Yeah. But we shouldn't, and, and I think that's when it comes, if you see at the market, everybody's so focused on that side. Everybody's trying to say, okay, uh, how do I find uh, anomalies in user logins? Yeah. Um, or how do I monitor my firewall? How do I monitor all kinds of operations? And we should also ask ourselves, that's good that we do that, but it's a complete blind spot for us or for companies often they, that they don't see the, where the vulnerability started. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's, I think, what brings us to the whole DevSecOps. And and let's touch on that for today. And But that's going to be the... Um, that's going to be a topic that returns, I think, every session we have. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, the whole shift left model from yeah. the security because on the right side, we shouldn't detect, we, we should have everything in place to detect it there, but we should also have our processes and our tooling and our yeah. 
things in place to detect that more on the left side. Yeah, prevention is better than healing, right? You yeah. know, you want to prevent all of these things from happening. Yeah, but we know we cannot prevent everything, and that, and that is like why it's things important. Like for lack of so we need to have that detection as well on, on the operation side. Yeah, but also processes in, yeah. in, in that area. That if something happens. Um, what is the next step that we uh, that, that we're gonna do? Uh, so there there is something that we ha- do not have detected upfront. So there is an issue yep. later on. So what are the steps mm-hmm. to to take? Um, I, w- I want to get back at, at the security risk. Uh, the first thing that you mentioned was managing secrets. Yeah, and then uh, we had a whole discussion. Uh, are there any other topics um, from a security risk perspective? Mm, I think definitely, well, we already touched upon that. I think that's definitely the, the dependencies. Yep. Dependencies are a big thing. Uh, an, another one that is still, sadly, still very common are things like uh, the OWASP. You know, I d- does anyone know here what it stands for on top of their head? No. I don't remember on top of my head, but it's the OWASP.org, I think. It's like, you know, it's the list of all the, the, top, ten, uh, the top 10 vulnerabilities that are still found. And like number one that uh, is still found, I think, every year. Uh, is like uh, SQL injections and stuff like that. That is really we're talking about code here and how and uh, like hackers can just get cross-site uh, injections, that kind of stuff. Uh, stuff like that as well. That's well, also on the list. Yeah, and uh, Bing, Bing is helping me on that. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> open web application security project. Exactly. Oh, I'm well. not gonna remember that, but exactly that. Yeah. So um, stuff like these. These are definitely. Um, Things that uh, are are happening more often, and things like the OWASP vulnerabilities, they did the, the, like you already mentioned, like your your programming environment. They are still g- they're getting better and better in helping you detect these issues. Uh, but when we're like looking at like number one and two, like vulnerabilities and um, like leaking secrets, that's something that is you know you're that is something that is currently not uh, like normal for developers yet to think about. Like yeah. uh, all app stuff is stuff that you learn. It is stuff that you, you know, kind of developers quickly learn when they're becoming a programmer because it's very important. But all of these other things that we just mentioned are newer. You know, they're, they're, they're modern problems for these into things that we're building nowadays. And we, you need to use some products and stuff like that. You need to yeah, use tools to improve on, uh, upon these uh, processes. Do, do we have any uh, examples how we can address these kind of risks that we have? Um, well, tools, but uh, yeah, tools. Yeah. So for example, you have, uh, you have like things like the dependabot is very focused, uh, very, uh, very, it's very well, very often used is what I'm trying to say. Sorry. On uh, GitHub. Yep. So yep. that's a, that's a tool that you can use to like automatically get like package updates. And first of all, it's, it's great because it makes your thing more secure. And second of all, it's going to save you so much time. So developers and security people should just absolutely love using tools like this. So that every day you get like a pull request or it's even automatically merged into your code. Like, hey, these, these packages should be updated or hey, these packages contain vulnerabilities. You should update them or you should even migrate to a new package, stuff like this. Yeah, so maybe to explain a little for the for the listeners, I think the penbot, what it does is it looks, you can define which libraries you are using in your code. I right? think it finds those automatically. It does it even automatically? Oh, perfect. And based on that, it looks if it, there are any new versions available. Exactly. 
And when, if so, it will indeed, as you said, automatically integrate it or create a pull request for you so that you'll know, okay, I need to change that to go to. So that that's a really... It's a really, it's really a, it's useful. It's a GitHub-only uh, feature, I believe, right? It's not... It, Dependabot only runs on GitHub, yeah. yes, but there's a, a thing called RenovateBot. I learned about it like only like two or three weeks ago, and I still need to... I need to start implementing that in uh, the code base where I work. Um, the uh, renovate bot is the same idea. So you can self-host that and you can use that, I think, even if you wanted to on like GitLab or Azure DevOps mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So that's the same idea. You could you know, get um, the vulnerability updates, uh, package updates, all that kind yep. of stuff. So we to we're talking about tools that, c that can be helpful to address certain, uh, certain vulnerabilities, certain things uh, and misconfigurations. Yeah. Um, but that are tools. What can we do regarding awareness uh, on the developer side itself, on the on the people? What can we do to improve the um, uh, the, the awareness and expertise on 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 that side? I guess people should listen to this podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a difficult one. That's like I, f I feel like like a lot of these awareness things, it, it's a time-driven thing. It, it takes time for people to learn more about this. Um, now, do, we need, do we need to educate them? Uh, because no. we have security awareness on the end-user side, uh, giving people uh, training materials. And so we have that also uh, from, a, uh, from, from a management perspective. So uh, consultants and uh, people who are managing um, IT systems have also training uh, training stuff for that, but especially for developers, I don't ha I don't think it's that mm. that much. So um, we had a great talk on this with David, of course, the for regarding the vendor for cloud focus on DevOps. Um, and David I think David Regano. Yeah, um, and I think the key is 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 uh, based is partially training in your people, but I think. It's mainly to bring those people together. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a, that would be the best approach. Like if you look on um, like technologies like Defender for DevOps, right? Part of the Defender for Cloud stack um, depends on what kind of code scanning for, uh, you have enabled. But regarding of that is you have features like pull request uh, annotations. So what it does is it, it automatically scans your code based on uh, passwords or anything else. And uh, that shows an alarm. It goes to uh, Defender for Cloud. And that syncs back to your DevOps pull request. Mm. And it points out, like, on line three, you have used certain uh, parameter or you used a password or we found that and that and that. But more information, click here, read more on that. Yep. Um, and what it does is it... it creates a platform where security can take a look in the developer's ecosystem, finds uh, vulnerabilities that could be there, and b and give them feedback on their platform. Mm. Instead of saying, no, you developer, you need to go to a security portal to see the information. No, bring that information back to where the developer works. Exactly. And I think and that's it's like you're you're getting a taught automatically, right? Like uh, uh, definitely te learning about this is is important, but like you know, getting taught about it is important. Is even even like easier for everyone. Yeah. The developer gets a notification like, "Hey, you did it wrong." I just want to touch upon that product. Like you you said the vendor for DevOps is what you said it? 
Ja, sorry. Ja. <laughs> is, it, is it still Defender for DevOps? Yeah. Well, it's part of the Defender for Cloud. Uh, <laughs> security. I think it was something with security yeah. now in the name, right? Like yeah. they're, they're renaming it every month. Yeah. So it, it's still something that says uh, there. There uh, was something at Ignite. Yeah, there was something. Watch that. <laughs> so, so what I saw is uh, like there's also, you know, like an. Let's, let's talk about talking to an external service like a SendGrid or something to send emails. And you use an API key, you send it that way. What I learned some time ago is that, that uh, SendGrid's API key is a very specific API key. It like starts with S, G, and then something else. So when GitHub detects when di- uh, GitHub detects a push to your repo and it contains a SendGrid API key, it will automatically go and do a call to SendGrid to invalidate that API key. I find that a very, very interesting approach. So even if you leak a secret, like it is automatically invalidated. So it cannot be used by hackers anymore. I believe GitHub has that also for yourself. So you can publish your keys in a certain list and it will automatically scan all the other repositories. If it finds the key outside of your repository, it will oh, give you a signature as well. That is interesting. Because that shows if your key is leaked or not. Exactly, and that's really good. Like, but uh, it, you know, good. it being invalidated is um, like this, the next step compared yeah. to like getting a notification. Like getting a notification, and you're you're on holiday for three weeks. Yeah. Then you ha- might have a, you know you might got hacked three weeks ago when you come back. Yeah. Like it getting invalidated immediately and stuff like that. That's I think like the next big yeah. thing. So the the next question that I have was uh, regarding uh, collaboration and communication between developers and security analysts and you already touched a little bit on that but if if we are uh, touching a bit more on that perspective um sending the SOC analyst to the developer portal uh, so they can communicate with each other and get feedback uh, give feedback on uh, the code is that only the only thing that they can do or are there uh, multiple information barriers that needs to be um, uh, hacked between uh, both both of these groups because um, a security analyst is mostly involved if something happens yeah. or, or afterwards. Uh, a developer is at the very 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 beginning. There is a lot of things in between, but how can we bring them more and more together? Yeah, yeah, that, that's of course like the entire you know the, the entire DevSecOps thing, and that's that's really important. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like for it, I feel like the tools are definitely important, but that's of course not the the human. You know, you want more human communication about this as well. Yeah, because you need to know. You know, there's also a security person working behind the scenes and stuff. You need to, you know, know them. Kind of what what do they find important? What do I find important? What, you know, kind of what we're doing right now. So what what kind of problems do I see? What kind of things do you guys know? What kind of things do you guys recommend to solve this issue? Um, I've seen some places where they actually like really make a security person kind of part of the team, like kind of part of this uh, part of the Scrum team. So they, it's not like they're actually in a, you know secu- like analyzing the product every you know every hour of the day, <laughs> but they they do they do uh, actually kind of you know participate in what the team is doing. So when there's a question, they can always go to that security analyst and they can have a they can have a look around. Uh, is that is that a security analyst yeah. is there, or is that more engineer? Security engineer? I don't know the title. If it's part of the uh, part of the team, it's often an engineer. Yeah, is, is that a, is that a SOC? A, a, an operating center analyst or engineer, or is that more or less a security consultant that is is involved into projects uh, to bring the security analyst and the developers together? 
So because I think the security analyst is the person that reacts when it is a, when there is an incident. Yeah. Um, and a security engineer consultant is the one that guides the project uh, and takes constantly with the security. So it's more a different role in my yeah. opinion. But mm. so, but because if you look, let's, let's for example, uh, um, if you look at DevOps, DevOps starts with planning, right? The first stage is before you do any code, you have done anything, you start with planning and creating a design diagram, uh, which that's your proposal, right? Uh, ex without saying, uh, talking about any code, like, okay, this is the application. Um, so to give you an example, I did a, a project with a, with, a, with, a, with a really big financial in the Netherlands. And um, before we even started doing any resource in Azure or any line of code, we needed to get an approval for our design, like the f technical design, the functional design, yeah. all from the cloud competence team, uh, from, from the security team, um, and I believe from the operations team. And uh, everybody, like the cloud competence was looking like, did, do, are we using the right resources? Are we deploying it the right way? And security was challenging us, okay, you are doing, what kind of data are you processing? So based on that, you have this classification, so you need to yeah. do that kind of encryption at a minimum. And operation was like, okay, have you your uh, backup in place? So, mm. And I think that's the first stage where it starts, like communication and talking to each other, like reviewing that design. Okay, this is the solution that we are going to work on. Um, from that three different uh, perspectives. I, I definitely agree. Um, I mean, the one thing is that I do, as a developer, I do see a bit of an issue there where I'm designing an application, right? I'm going to build, um, I don't know, a web shop API or something like that. So, you know, it's important that we store our data securely because it's real customer data. Maybe we're handling credit card info, stuff like this. That's really important to know. Like, I, I like learning about security, so I'll notice all this kind of stuff. But And I like focusing on, like, how do we store, like, uh, GDPR data. Um, a lot of developers don't. Not because they don't know it, whatever. They just don't really have the knowledge. So talking to those people is very important. I do think that when we're building this application over time, it's going to get new features, right? And we're going to have new requirements. And then you, I definitely see people slipping and just, you know, still at that point implementing something insecurely because they didn't involve all of these teams again. You know, it was something that you did at the beginning, but doing that every time costs too much time or there is no time and stuff like that. So for that, I mean, I guess I'm a programmer and I guess I just I love automating so much things. So I feel I really feel like using tools at least for the future here is is like is going to help us the most. Using all of these tools like GitHub Advanced Security, Microsoft the vendor for cloud security, DevOps, I don't know the name anymore. Um let's, stuff go, like, let's go with Defender for Cloud. Defender for Cloud. We're going to call it Defender for Cloud. That that's what we agree with David, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Great. I think using all of these tools to make, you know, to set up a design with actual with those teams, they really know what fits the company the best. And you know, you need to use this product because that is what we use everywhere. So that's a good fit. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. And then we're going to start using these tools during development to get on to get like a signal like, hey, you're doing this wrong. Hey, this is insecure. Your code has vulnerabilities. You committed a secret you shouldn't have this package has vulnerabilities here's a pr to automate them mm. i think that is something that you can do to uh, for a developer to really keep your code secure over the time that you're working on it yeah um 
to finish this recording up because we have touched the, uh, the, the, uh, a few different parts um, to finish up we talk still talking about co-pilot within the Microsoft area um, co-pilot uh, security co-pilot uh, what's helping us uh, within uh, Defender for Cloud Defender for uh, for and uh, Defender what is it Defender XDR within uh, <laughs> yeah all the all that names uh, but just say it by, by date right today it's Defender XDR today yeah and the recording is uh, in the beginning of December yeah. so. <laughs> Um, but we have also co-pilot for Windows, co-pilot for productivity, and so on. So there are different co-pilots. Do you think that co-pilot or AI uh, will 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 play a role within the stuff what we're talking about? I, I hope it does. Having co-pilot. Yeah, I'm already GitHub. using it like every every day. Yeah, yeah, but GitHub. that's GitHub co-pilot. Mm. Uh, but also uh, when, when talking about. Um, defining uh, of finding vulnerabilities and and stuff so we are using uh, uh, software uh, or solutions that scans uh, code and 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 much more but does ai also play a role in that area to detect uh, i'm not in sure other ways for developer i mean i know that there's now this security copilot i don't really know yet what it is um, maybe that's a topic for later because we, you know, maybe it's a topic for a new episode because I think it definitely can play a big role. But I think for a developer's perspective, when we're using Copilot, maybe it could learn, you know, from your code base, from your company's security policies. And then when you ask it to generate code or when, you, when it's running in your program, it's like, hey, you're writing code here that violates company policies or this, stuff like this. So during development, you get the notification. This is what we already said in the beginning. Instead of later on in the pipeline, right when you're writing the code. Yeah. A new developer, day one, immediately gets to know, oh, I'm doing something here that's insecure. And I think definitely there's a, a future in that. I think it's going to happen pretty I, soon. I, I believe, and, and I think you can already, in your EDA, for example, in VS Code, already when you have code pilot and then GitHub Copilot then, you can already, when you have a code, you you can already ask it, analyze this code to see if there are any vulnerabilities in there. No. That kind of features are already there. So it's not maybe fully automated. That's, I think, the answer to the question. Yeah. But if the future is there, I think, yeah. yeah it will it will play a bigger and bigger and bigger role, in yeah. my opinion. So it, it will help. It doesn't replace anything uh, because we still need to... Uh, realize stuff and create stuff. Um, AI can help, yep. but it doesn't take over, in my opinion. Hopefully not. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, we have uh, we are still um, uh, starting a podcast, so uh, uh, probably we can extend that one. Well, maybe the next episode will be AI generated. Uh, I heard uh, Bing already a couple of times today. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's Bing Bing Enterprise, and Bing uh, helps also in uh, generating questions and. <laughs> <laughs> doing stuff with it, so so uh, have a, a a smooth conversation with that. So, yeah. do, uh, do, do do we do uh, did we touched every single piece that we want to touch? I think I I think we talked about some tools, and uh, I think I just want to call out a couple more tools for developers at least to start using. Like you from the uh, I think that's more from the operations perspective. Is a defender for cloud, right? I think that's a bit more for the operation side on the right side. So it's it it gives. Um, uh, the right side, so the operation side, visibility into the uh, into the left side, right? Mm. Because you can suddenly see the code, scan the code, see what vulnerabilities are there. You can uh, you can do it on multiple layers. So it and that's I think something we didn't touch. We uh, because when we are talking about repositories, right, where you store your code, mm. it's it's vulnerability that 
can come um, you can experience there, but you can also have like misconfiguration on your repository side, like uh, mm. that you can do f uh, push to the main branch, for example. That's yep. something we did. So Defender for Cloud and, and in combination, definitely with GitHub Advanced Security, of course, has multiple layer. It's partially the infrastructure side, your conf configuration. Like, do you have your project PRs? Do you have like code validation? That kind of yep. stuff configured, and partially it's like. Um, your code, scanning your code, and bringing the output to Defender for Cloud, where ah, often okay. uh, a security analyst is. Uh, you can look at these results. Yeah, exactly. So, so your security and your operation is completely on the right. Is seeing okay, this is coming towards the production. Yeah. Right. You are aware of what's coming, and so then you can ch choose to interact with things like pull request. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Integrations and then send okay on line three we see this and that and that yeah and uh, and that way create that bring those two wor yep. worlds together yeah so like stuff like uh, you know like like you already said so GitHub security or the greatly named GitHub uh, GitHub security no GitHub advanced, advanced. security for Azure DevOps. Dependabot is what we talked about. Renovate, all of these tools will help you, like finding your vulnerabilities. It will help you, like it will stop you from pushing code that con that contains leaked secrets and stuff like that. And something that's really interesting, what you just like said, it's like it would also like send signals to these defender like applications and really, you know, what, we're, what we kind of started talking about to wrap, I guess, kind of things up. It really brings these things two together. Right, the, dev the developers are, you know, we're automatically now stopping vulnerabilities, but we're still analyzing them. We're still integrating the um, the monitoring side with it. Mm. And you know, at least what is coming mm. from the security side and the operations side, right? And and those days, a lot what you see is that security and operation is surprised because there was a code change, there was something, mm. there was a vulnerability in the code which where they weren't aware of. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's and true. And now I'm you can still go with that vulnerability to production. It, it, it's an, it can be an accepted risk, for, for example. Yeah, exactly. But at least you know what's You happening. know what is happening. Yeah, exactly. So, France. That, wa that was all. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all. <laughs> nice. Um, I want to uh, mention one thing, uh, not from this recording, but from the previous recording. Uh, to finish up, um, we mentioned Defender for WSL uh, last time. Uh, what what happens with that? Because um, there was no support, pre uh, whatever, and uh, probably there was a preview. Uh, that was the thing that I mentioned. But what happens after our recording? Yeah, so last time, of course, we talked about containers and WSL and, and that it creates a black hole. Yeah. WSL, yeah. WSL, sorry. Um, and yeah, I think the same day, the same evening, uh, they announced that it's going to public. Uh, I think it's not GA. It I think it's pub public preview. Public yeah. preview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, what it does is it creates Defender for Endpoint. So if you have Defender for Endpoint on your machine, your server or your uh, server, it also now scans your VSL environment to see what you are doing there. So if you are doing some scary stuff and you think that's isolated, there's now visibility in that space as well. So this is, I think, a huge uh, step from Microsoft. So if, if I'm activating WSL on my Windows machine, 
defender can take care of that WSL. Yeah. Exactly. It can see what you're doing in there and to take and use all of these, you know, defender features. I don't know. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, but well, we have Defender for Linux, uh, but no, also the integration uh, on uh, Windows subsystem for Linux. <laughs> so that's great. Right. So that, to to make that in, the, in order uh, that we talked about uh, the last... And probably the next time there are more changes that we are yeah. discussing today. Does anyone want to do any predictions and the next episode will be out? Um, yeah, I, uh, what we already said uh, in the beginning of this recording, we tried to touch uh, some some pieces of the DevSecOps uh, framework. So um, today we talked more or less about code and code scanning, uh, but also a security perspective from uh, f from a developer. Um, yeah, what pieces do we have on the in the DevSecOps framework, uh, Puyan? Yeah, so we started a little bit on the left side, right? We are we started with the endpoint of the developer. We started with the code repository, and I think we are going to partially build that up uh, towards the operation side. Um, so I, I heard you telling identity and authorization is going to be, a, I think, an awesome uh, topic to uh, to discuss. Like, how do you authenticate, and how do your applications authenticate? Like your micro uh, 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 services, mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, Copilot can can be a different recording in my opinion. Yep, yep. Uh, something like that. Like, and also if we're gonna talk more, you know, about this. Uh, we're, we're planning an application, or you know, I have a laptop here. How do we get this stuff that I build into prod? Right. So that yep. the stages that you mentioned, like building, testing, releasing. Um, monitoring, there's like loads of stages there, and operations, yep. all of these things I can think deserve their own topic, deserve their own episodes. So, uh, lots of topics to cover in the next uh, in the next few months uh, because we want to, want to try uh, every month to do a recording. Um, so keep posted and uh, see if you uh, if you can realize that. And if not, uh, you can challenge us. Uh, so reach out to us at, uh, at the different social media channels. We're on LinkedIn on uh, X, is it, uh, today? It. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also on Reddit uh, and all, all the social media platforms. Um, so reach out if you have questions or want to be part of this. Um, if you like this recording, uh, subscribe uh, or uh, do do some. Um, Don't tell them to ring the bell. No, 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 not ring the bell. But <laughs> if if you are uh, giving a if giving feedback yeah, uh, on the a on a comment on the different platforms, that helps to spread uh, this podcast in uh, in in the world. So uh, that really helps us. Um, and for now, thanks for uh, for listening, and uh, hopefully uh, until uh, another time. And that was probably uh, next year. So yeah. twenty. What is it? Two uh, two thousand twenty four. Yeah. Yep. See you next year. Thank you. Thank you.